Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room, formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys. Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And, of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> What's up again, guys? Here it is, the first first day of July. I was going to say the first Thursday in July. Hell, it's July 1st. It's day number one. Only 30 days left until training camp begins on the 31st and our beloved begin their 2021 uh, campaign, and uh, we are campaigning through our opponent preview episodes. This one is number two of four for the AFC North. This time we'll be doing the Cleveland Browns, and in a moment our friend Jeff Lloyd from the Locked on Browns podcast will be joining us to help preview uh, this team and talk a bit about uh, you know, how their fortunes changed in 2020. Kevin Stefanski comes in. They got a brand new general manager. They make some moves. And, um, you know, how the culture has changed uh, in Cleveland. You know, it's it's suddenly become a destination, or at least, uh, as you'll hear me talk to, uh, to, to Jeff about, a much easier pitch to sell. Uh, these days on coming to Cleveland. It's 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 not a place where you're going to go to to try to get playing time where you couldn't get it anywhere else. It's it's not some place that you're going to go to steal some money uh, for a season uh, while you figure things out or whatever. You can actually go to Cleveland uh, and pursue uh, at least a division title, get yourself in the playoffs. And God knows these days, crazier things have happened, maybe even a, uh, a Super Bowl. So we... Uh, we cover a lot uh, talking about the um, the Browns. Uh, you know, you guys have heard me talk about it a lot. Um, you know, about my sentimentality towards teams like the Browns, the Raiders, and uh, you know, maybe even like the Bills and such, uh, because these were the teams that were prominent when I was growing up, when I was falling in love with the game. 
And, um, you know, I have fond memories watching these teams in the playoffs and, and the great players that have played for those teams uh, over the years. And it's, uh, you know, you've heard me also say a million times, it's boring watching them be be the, the, the butthole of the NFL week in and week out, year in and year out, quite frankly, picking at the top of the uh, draft and, uh, and all that kind of stuff, watching them squander picks and, uh, and things like that. So uh, it's nice to see teams like that, you know, digging themselves out of the hole they dug themselves into for one reason uh, or another. And the Browns uh, in year one under Stefanski, 11-5, and five, uh, make the playoffs and even get a win uh, over the Steelers in that wild card round where they just they got on the Steelers in the Steelers <laughs> over the Steelers and then some in, in that one and uh, you know uh, got that victory and and gave the Chiefs all they could handle uh, in the divisional round uh, before uh, succumbing to to Mahomes uh, and company and route to another Super Bowl so um, lots to cover with Jeffs so we'll go ahead and just. Uh, I'll go ahead and shut myself up so I can uh, bring Jeff in and we'll we'll talk about the 2021 uh, Cleveland Browns and what they're expecting out there uh, on the Cuyahoga. And uh, so let's go ahead and jump in. This is the uh, this is the AFC North opponent preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. So here we are as we move in, move along here in the AFC North. We move on to the third place finisher from the division last year, but still good enough to make the playoffs uh, in 2020. Uh, talking about the Cleveland Browns, who finally returned to the postseason after a very long absence. I think it was 2002, the last time they had made the playoffs. And here to help us preview these 2021 Browns, see if they can get back to the postseason. From the Locked On Browns podcast, we have Jeff Lloyd. Jeff, welcome to the show, man. Oh, thanks for having me, Larry. Um, you know, obviously, you know, still June, but you know, very, very excited for August to come around uh, <laughs> yeah. for what the future could be for this 2021 version of the Cleveland Browns. And I am as well, to be te- to be honest with you, because I'm a, I'm a child of the of the '80s, so I grew up uh, with the '85 Bears, and I was only seven years old that season. But that also makes me eight years old for the catch and the fumble uh, in the preceding years for the two two very classic AFC championship games between the Broncos uh, and the Browns that unfortunately did not go the Browns away, even though both games probably should have, especially in a Cleveland Browns fan's eyes uh, and uh, and such. And, and watching them kind of, you know, from the time that they came back in, in 99 after Modell took the Browns to – Baltimore to become the Ravens uh, and everything, watching them struggle as much as they did to see them finally figure it out over the last few years. And it's, and last year with Stefanski in his first year uh, as head coach and, and the new uh, GM whose name is escaping me at the moment, um, you know, they, they did a hell of a job. They got 11 and five. They, they were third in the division, but it was good enough to get them into the playoffs and they actually got a win over the much hated Steelers. So it was, uh, had to be viewed as a success in some ways, right? Yeah, well, Andrew Barry, obviously the general manager. That's speaking it. Up, yeah, uh, he and Coach Stefanski just have this, you know, this mesh. They just really, really, really work well. Um, before Andrew Barry had left Cleveland for the time, you know, for the one year he spent with the Philadelphia Eagles, he was pushing for Kevin Stefanski to be, you know, the next head coach. Um, during that period, uh, obviously it didn't work out. You know, Andrew Barry moved on to Philadelphia for a year. Coach Stefanski remained in Minnesota for a year. The Browns brought Andrew Barry back in. 
the targets were set to get, you know, Coach Stefanski here through Paul D. Podesta. These were all guys that kind of had eyes on each other, eyes towards working with each other. Same type of vision, same type of belief in players you're looking for. Uh, you know, guardrails is the type of players that you're going after, whether it's through the draft or through free agency. Um, and it's three, you know, working minds that, you know, work is one. Uh, it's able to been able to add to what was existing here in Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and Nick Chubb, finding the right type of talent, the right type of personalities that are going to fit right in with what was here and what was working. And in one year, and obviously their time was very, very limited due to COVID, just as every other NFL team. Right. But they were able to get everything in, everything installed and put a belief in these guys that, you know, I know you've heard this a million times and, you know, it's really, really you know, understandable if you don't believe it. But this time it's going to be different in Cleveland. And I think these guys, by the time August rolled around, by the time week one rolled around, I think everyone was bought in and truly had this sense of belief that, you know, this time it was real. And because they were seeing something they had never seen, which was basically unison between a front office, a head coach, and right. basically every person yeah. within the organization, they knew. They knew they were, you know, the, the heights were there. The expectations were there. Everything was in place. All everybody had to do was put in the work and led to what it led to. Yeah, because sadly, Cleveland has, has led the NFL in in, 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 in uh, some pretty un, uh, un, unwanted categories since returning to the league in 1999, like in, you know, losses and number one picks and things like that. And, uh, you know, it, it just looked like they, they finally uh, turned it around last year with with Stefanski even though it was you know they they also lead the league and I think head coaches over the last 20 seasons uh as well it's just like two two years here for me two years there one year I mean they've had what they had like what four coaches in four years I think or before Stefanski yes. came in they had four different coaches and, and like with Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens and or like three coaches in three years kind of thing with Stefanski uh finally mm-hmm. coming in and uh you know, it's like year two. He's all of a sudden a long tenured guy in in Cleveland, uh, with with all of the coaching switches and the upfront office changes and uh, and things like that. It's 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 good for me that grew up with the Browns being awesome to see them kind of working their way back to that again. Now it's just a matter of stabilizing it like they did in the late eighties with Schottenheimer and Kosar and all those guys. Yeah, and I think the thing is though is is once you change the perception of your franchise, you know, you have more avenues to acquire talent. You have yeah. a player like today, Ian Clowney, who literally says, well, this team wins. You know, I like it. And with minicamp this week, you know, you wouldn't expect Odell Beckham Jr. coming off of ACL surgery in the fall to be a participant. Nobody would have thought he would be a participant. There he was. He was out there doing some team drills, doing some individual drills. Jadavian Clowney, another one with a reputation where, you know, he'll show up when it, you know, basically matters to show up, yeah. you know, and but they're working. Um, I just believe with the young core that they have, you know, between Baker, between Miles, between Nick, Denzel Ward, and these types of guys, as, as talented as they are, their reputations speak for themselves as far as, you know, they don't carry themselves any higher than anybody else on the roster. They held, they hold people accountable because, you know, not saying we're the stars of this team, but we do everything that's asked of us. So this is the bar. You know, if you're going to come here, you're going to work. There are no free rides. Um, it doesn't matter if you're the first guy on the roster, or the 53rd guy on the roster, the, you're expected to put in, you know, your time, your effort. And when you, again, when you get everybody on the same page, it, sometimes, you know, not, it, even if you're not the most talented roster, you're going to win a lot of games just due to the fact that, you know, everyone can look to each other in the man, look to each other in the eyes and knows that, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure we walk out of here with this W today. 
And that's the thing about football. It's like team will trump talent almost every every single time. You get 53 guys playing together, you know, talent sometimes doesn't really factor factor into it. I mean, it, it, it's funny the way the football football works, but that's that's one of those things. It's like talent will only get you so far. And, you know, some of the greatest players that ever lived played on some of the worst teams that, I mean, God, you know, forgive me for saying, but one of the greatest offensive tackles of all time happened to play in like the lowest period in Cleveland history in Joe, Joe Thomas. I mean, there was no, uh, there was nobody better than Joe Thomas at playing left tackle for all those years. And yet that poor guy never made it to the, did he make it to the playoffs once? Or he came in after 2002, nope. didn't he? Joe Thomas has never played, never played an NFL playoff. Right. Never played an NFL playoff game, but was regarded as one of the best. He was an iron man that didn't miss a game until like his very last season uh, of his, of his career. And yet, you know, he had, he played for the, for the Browns. So he played for how many coaches and how many quarterbacks did he block for and, uh, and all that, and all that kind of stuff. So talent will only get you so far, but it's, 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 it's the teams that will, will ultimately uh, come out ahead. And, uh, like you said, if you get 53 guys on the same page, that's going to be a tough out for anybody. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, well, Joe never – I mean, Joe Thomas never missed a snap. Uh, right. You know, the, yeah. When he got injured, that was, you know, that was the last snap of his career. Had taken every snap up until that point. But, again, it's just it, it's just about unison. And, you know, when you're going to war and you have 11 players on the field, you know, it's a lot different, you know, than basketball. It's a lot different than baseball where one guy can go, you know, four for five and be the difference in a game. You know, you can have a receiver go for 11 receptions and 230 yards. You still might lose by 17 points. It, you just have to have everything in lockstep. And I think the Browns are really trending to that. You know, with each positional group on this roster, they've just got themselves set for the best chance at success everywhere. And it's been done in a short time by Andrew Barry. Credit to him. Granted, there were players here when he got here, but he was able to quickly establish, you know, what he knows is going to work, what he needs to go find. And in two off seasons, he's done a tremendous job in flipping that roster, you know, not just from a team that was, you know, a, a mid-level team to a team now with legitimate AFC North expectations and probably, you know, AFC championship game expectations. Yeah. They were only one game away from the conference championship last year. And, uh, you know, they gave the, they gave the chiefs a hell of a run. And also, you know, in, in my opinion, I mean, in my opinion, I should say, um, added to the whole, that, um, that fumble into the end zone rules got to go. So um, I've I've never been a fan of it. I've seen the Bears fall victim to it uh, a few times. The rule itself doesn't make sense to me. Um, that uh, you know the ball is fumbled, it goes through the end zone and and uh, you know out of bounds or whatever. Somehow it's the defense's ball now. Like I, I just don't I don't get how that rule works or how it makes sense or in in my opinion how it's fair uh, at all. And and Cleveland kind of got screwed by it in the Kansas City game in the playoffs. They well, had a, certainly they had that uh, the you know. They had that game, that touchdown, what would have been a touchdown taken away from them uh, and everything and just kind of dug a deeper hole against the Chiefs. Uh, Not to mention one. the fact that there was a, you know, helmet to helmet collision that caused right. the fumble. That yeah. was never called either. So, I mean, the fact that we sat here and debated this entire fumble when there was just a blatant missed call, just, you know, just bad, bad, bad. Right. So, real quick, let's go through the 2020 season because it was an interesting one. Uh, for the Browns, week one, not the best start. Week one, you're you're at home, or excuse me, on the road at Baltimore. Steamrolled by the Ravens, thirty-eight to six. So I was like, okay, great. So that's that's how the Stefanski era starts. But then you rattle off four wins in a row. Um, then another bad loss to 
Pittsburgh before wins over Cincy and uh, oh, actually lost to Vegas, and then the bye week, and then four wins in a row again after the bye. So it's like it's it's up, it's down, it's back up. The four four game winning streak. Lose a much better uh, one of the best games that I saw last year was that second game against Baltimore. I think it was was it Monday night? Yeah, it was Monday night game forty seven. 42 and absolutely I really thought Cleveland was gonna end up uh winning that one because it was just like one of those Madden games where whoever has the ball last is gonna win uh kind of things and I was just hoping the Browns would get the ball one more time uh and close that thing out and um you know ended up the season with a win over Pittsburgh was it a win in your in game for them it was a win and in yes okay so they beat the Steelers God bless them and then They took the Steelers to the woodshed in the in the wild card game, which was just awesome to watch. It was it was an incredible night, and you know, for you know everybody you know following this team, everybody for a fan of this team. First things first, it was all right. We get you know we're going to the playoffs. Then it was oh no, we're going to Pittsburgh, which has never ever gone well. And then the way the week worked out, you know, Joe Batonio's out with COVID. This player's out injured. Oh, guess what? Coach Stefanski can't coach in the game because he's on the COVID list. Right. And it was just like, all right. It it was kind of like, you know, it was kind of like, well, here's the Christmas tree. Here's all the presents. There's none for you. Go back to bed. (laughs) So it was kind of like, you know, we're here. uh, But, you know, to to their credit, and they all spoke, you know, they spoke all week and said, look, you know, this has been the situation all year. We have no idea who's going to be able to play until it's time to kick it off, whatever time, you know, whether it's one o'clock, whether it's four o'clock, whether it's 815, 830. And we'll be ready to go. We'll just find a way to make it work with what we have. And, you know, that first offensive snap for Pittsburgh, ball goes over Ben's head. Um, why he or James Conner, neither one of them thought to kick the ball out of the end zone to take the safety and go from there. Um, I got no problems with it personally. Um, you know, and they weren't ready. Um, you know, Carl Joseph jumps on it. It gave the – it literally took every every drop of emotion and put it on Cleveland sidelines and said, look, here's our opportunity. We can do this. And I think everybody just, you know, I think the nerves were gone. I think the fact that it was Pittsburgh and all the history they had with Pittsburgh was gone. It was off their shoulders. And then you just had some guys who went out there, played definitely above their heads. But, you know, you see that with any sport and you see it, you know, anytime with any sport within a playoff system, there's just times where, you know, the least thought about guy becomes stars. Some guys just have this ability to, you know, step up in bigger moments and become more than they ever have. And the Browns had about three or four guys who did that, that night in Pittsburgh. And, you know, because the one thing, and always talking about, you know, when, when are the Browns back? When are the Browns legitimate? And yes, obviously Baltimore has passed Pittsburgh in the pecking order as far as, you know, the better franchise in the AFC North right now, but it, it was never going to be that way for Browns fans. It was going to be the, you know, we need to stick it to Pittsburgh. Yeah. When we can physically say we are better than the Pittsburgh Steelers, that's when this thing is real, and that's when this thing is, you know, on the track that all these fans want it to be on, and that that was that was the feeling that night. The torch was passed. Um, you know, Big Ben in tears on the sidelines, sit with Marquise Pouncey. What in the world, Big Ben's even thinking about doing coming back again this year? I have no idea, right? Because I mean, he literally looked like a vehicle that you know was running on you know three cylinders and maybe two and a half tires down the stretch last season. Um, but yeah, for the Browns, I mean, I don't think it's a question of even, you know, thinking that much about the Pittsburgh Steelers anymore. Their sights are set, you know, a lot higher. Their sights are set on, you know, competing with Baltimore for this division, competing and chasing down the Chiefs and maybe the Buffalo Bills for the AFC championship game. This is where this franchise is now at. Yeah, and it's a good spot uh, uh, to be in. And, and I think that 
you know, they're in a better position for success than they were back in 0203 with with Butch Davis and everything to to make another run uh, at the playoffs and 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 to stay where they're at right now as opposed to being a one and done team like hey we put it together for one season and then 2021 rolls around they're not able to uh, figure it out you got a lot of you got the the core is all coming back and you've added pieces to that like you talked about Jadavian Clowney came in you've added Malik Jackson. Uh, Josh Johnson and you basically looted the uh, the Rams secondary except for like <laughs> Jalen Ramsey there he's on the squad now uh, Troy Hill and John Johnson uh, come in and uh, you know you've added some really interesting pieces uh, to the team in free agency despite losing uh, you know despite losing Carl Joseph who you just married uh, I'll mention uh, Larry Ogunjobi going to Cincinnati um, never a good idea to go to Cincinnati but he did it anyway uh, you know, and you lost a few guys. Sheldon Richardson went back to Minnesota. Uh, Kevin Johnson, uh, you know, goes to Tennessee and things like that. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, that that Cleveland's in a much better position to repeat or maintain their success level as opposed to 11-5 and five last year, 4-13 uh, and 13 this year kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, they, you know, you talk about they had the best offensive line in the NFL last year. That will return intact. Um, they're going to bring back their entire wide receiver unit with uh, you know a player added. They're bringing back their running back unit. They're bringing back their tight end unit. Um, all they've done is you know add on offense, defense. There were a lot of holes. There were a lot of players that were just basically filling in spots for the time being. Um, in year one of Andrew Barry's you know reign here, he did a fantastic job getting this offense where it needed to be and putting a lot of focus on that. Um, understanding in year two, defense was going to be the focus. And we're talking about a defense now that may have, you know, most likely nine new starters on defense this year. Wow. And probably with every single one of those nine, they probably upgraded, except for maybe slightly at the defensive tackle position. But those other eight positions, it's not that they're bringing in new starters. They're bringing in better starters. Wow. So, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, Cleveland, I think, was the same as as most teams uh, in the league this year in the offseason. There weren't a lot of buyers in the free agent market, thanks to the fact that the salary cap was about twenty something million dollars lower uh, than it was uh, last year due to due to COVID uh, and everything. But the pieces that they did add, like Clowney, like Troy Hill, like John Johnson, like you said, were definitely upgrades from the people that they were were replacing, and and that was what made I think Cleveland's offseason a bit unique in in, in the eyes of, uh, of of a lot of people. Well, of course. And I think, you know, the fact that you started with a Jadavian Clowney and it was even, you know, it almost seemed like it was, you know, the Browns are bust for Jadavian Clowney. The Browns brought him in early in the process. They had a nice meeting with him. At the time, Clowney was still rehabbing from an injury. And Brown said, look, you know, we're really interested. This is probably where we can go financially. Um, you know, Jadavian Clowney made $14 million in 2020. The Browns got him for eight. But they said, look, you know, everything here seems great. Let's see you in three weeks when, you know, your medical team is telling us that you'll be ready to take a physical, you pass it. Here's the money we can afford. Here's the money we think you know that's going to work. And obviously, you know, Clowney, to his word, came back three weeks, took his physical, signed on the dotted line. You know, you put two, you know, put a number one former former number one overall, you know, edge rusher with another number one former overall edge rusher in Miles Garrett. Josh Johnson was the best safety available on the market. Browns got that done, you know, quicker than a hiccup. Hill was the best nickel corner on the market. The Browns were able to get that done really, really quickly. And I just believe it's, you know, 
players, you can't fool players in the NFL. They know what's real. They know what's, you know, BS. And I think, you know, with a lot of these, you know, players the way they are today, and obviously, you know, just kids in general are just more intelligent than they were a decade ago, two decades ago. Right. They're not vibing so much with the old school, well, I'm the coach and here's why we do things. It needs to be more of a give and take and an understanding of, well, why are we doing this, coach? Explain this to me. And with Brown's younger regime, their analytical regime, with Andrew Barry only being in his 30s, Coach Stefanski only being in his 30s, it's an attraction to players. And knowing that these you know, gentlemen are going to have your backs. The Browns were huge proponents um, you know, in the Black Lives Matter movement and, and, you, and allowing their players to use you know, their podium and speak freely and speak what they felt was important to them and was passionate to them. They were encouraged to do so. When other players see this, and obviously there's certain organizations that this just doesn't fly like it does in others, players see that and say, you know what, I can walk in that building and I can be who I am. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, yeah, money's great or whatever, but I also have the opportunity to go to an organization that's going to allow to be allow me to be the player I am, the person I am, speak on things I want to speak on, help create differences, you know, in the world in whatever areas I choose. And you know, it's a great young team. It's a great young environment. It's it, it's crazy to think, but I mean, we were trying to explain to people the the attraction that the Cleveland Browns were going to be going in the last you know last off season you know, in the free agency cycle and some people weren't buying it, but obviously it was you know easy to tell. Um, and players just, you know, basically fell in love with the fact that they were going to, you know, a, a team that was good, a team that was on the rise. And the fact that they were, you know, just allowed to be who they were as people, there was no cookie cutter structure of, you know, just come in here and do your job, this type of thing. Nah, 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 nah. Come in, be who you want to be. You do your work. We have zero questions about anything else. Just do what we ask of you as players. And we will back whatever you want to do as people. And and I think that's fantastic. You know, the, the, to, for some teams to be able to change the culture like that, it is a mixture, you know, has a lot to do with who's who's leading the charge uh, to begin with. And, and uh, you know, I, I imagine that the sales job was a lot easier this year than it was last year. Because it was for, for last year, it was kind of like same same story, different chapter, new GM, new coach. What's going to be different this time around? We had that story. We just heard that story two years ago or last year and uh, and so on and so forth. But after the, the success they put together last year, winning a playoff game, giving the Chiefs all they could handle uh, before, you know, losing in the divisional round last year, it looks like that I'm, I'm, I'm in I'm guessing the sales job was a lot easier this time in the offseason than it was last year. Probably took a little bit, but maybe a little bit of arm twisting to kind of convince them, you know, we're the right ones. We're going to the ones that are going to be changing the thing here. And here in 2021, I bet that was not as hard. No, and honestly, for these defensive players, I mean, you look at a player like John Johnson, um, you know, they had drafted Grant Delpit the year before, missed the entire year because of injury. Um, they had traded for Ronnie Harrison you know, late in this summer last year and brought him in once they realized that Andrew Sandejo and Carl Joseph just weren't going to be it. But, you know, if you're John Johnson, you're like, well, wait a minute, you drafted Grant Delpit. You, you already have Ronnie Harrison here. Where am I going to fit in? Where Joe Woods his entire time now in year two since he's been here says, I want to play three safeties. I want to play dime as much as possible. So a player like John Johnson, you, you go and you look it up and say, well, this guy's wanted to play three safeties. He just didn't have the guys to do it. Oh, wait a minute. They want me. That means I'm going to be the quarterback of this safety room. I'm going to be, you know, orchestrating where these young players are going to be. And, you know, there's no question about my playing time or my role. Um, you know, if you did any homework or you did any due diligence, you would understand that this is what you know, Joe Woods has been preaching since he's been here. 
So it was just a question of, oh, wait a minute, you were looking for this type of, wait, you were looking for me, essentially. So here it is. Obviously, the contract's here. Um, you know, the Rams maybe, you know, their little run is maybe fading into the sunset. So for a player like John Johnson, you leave that. You get yourself right back into the sunlight, so to speak, with the Cleveland Browns here. And, you know, a fan base, a city that's just rising and thriving, just an opportunity that was too good to pass up. Yeah, and I and I and I feel very much, uh, you know, and I and I swear to God, I'm not pandering, but I've always kind of felt like Cleveland was the AFC version of Chicago, where if if you play well in Cleveland, then basically you'll never pay for a meal or a drink for the rest of your life if you're spotted out anywhere by the fans. That playoff game is the equivalent of is almost the equivalent of LeBron James, because the Browns (laughs) will always be the biggest sports entity within the city of Cleveland. Sure, you win a playoff game against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, you ended this streak. I mean, you know, I mean, they could probably start building a statue now. And, and that's just where it goes here. Right. Um, and, you know, look, I mean, you know, some some cities, you know, uh, obviously just you know, covet and value their talent more than others. You know, some, you know, so many fan bases. Wow. We wish wish we had appreciated it more when he was here. It doesn't happen you know, that way in like Chicago or, or Cleveland. Right. You come in day one, you, you know, you, you, you know, fans see what's real. They know what's real. And, you know, they, they just you know, will hop on board. And that's the way it is for a you know, majority of this roster. You know, if the Brown, if Miles Garrett wasn't a good player, he would get shredded for the fact that there's so many videos of him working out, so many videos of him playing basketball. You know, it'd be, oh, we'll do it on the field, this, that, and the other thing. You do it on the field? I mean, you are embraced in cities like this. Yeah, I'm sure maybe he heard a comment or two about the, the second layer of skin he was wearing at the draft. Like the, that suit jacket that he was wearing. It's like, Jesus, how did you get it on? But more importantly, how did you get it off? Because that's what I want to know. Was how did, mm-hmm. like, how many pieces did that thing, you know, get torn into to come off? Because it just looked like, how is it, you know, how is like the blood not, you know, rising to his brain because it's cut off uh, from the neck down? <laughs> Everything, that thing was, that thing was on. He was definitely wearing that jacket. Uh, that's for sure. But uh, speaking of draft night, um, you know, for the first time in a while, the the, the Browns picking on the back end uh, of the draft as opposed to being in the top 10 or at the very top uh, and everything. And a guy at 26 kind of fell uh, to the Browns. Was corner the biggest need or was he the best player available as far as defensive players go? Greg Newsom from uh, Northwestern, a local guy for me. Um, uh, but he went, he goes overall number 26 uh, to the Browns to you guys. Um, cornerback was the biggest need. And this is where, I mean, and it's not, it wasn't so necessarily so much, you know, due to your know, lack of depth in the room. I mean, after Hill was brought in and, you know, Hill is revered as a slot guy, but also can play outside. They loved Denzel Ward, but they have a question mark in Greedy Williams. There's just no way around it. He's got some sort of, you know, sho- so- shoulder impingement type of nerve thing. And, mm. you know, he's back, he's healthy, he's participating, but, you know, the belief is, is that nobody really knows, you know, how much that shoulder can take and you can't monitor it until you start hitting. And that's what happened, you know, last August. It was a hit in practice and, you know, the, you know, it came back up. This is something he dealt with in college. And that was it. His 2020 was entirely wiped. So, but also you look at it, the Browns regime now, they did not bring in Brady Williams. He was brought in by the past regime. So now here's a player they didn't draft. They've essentially never had take a snap for them. So they needed to basically have some insurance. And you also have to mention Denzel Ward here. Denzel Ward, as great as he is, he's missed some time over the years. Um, you know, every game he's missed a couple, every year he's missed a couple of games. You can't get around that fact. And the other thing is, if you're going to be this successful franchise and you're going to be a team that wins a lot of games, 
you're going to be in dime a lot because you're going to be ahead late in games and you're right. going to see quarterbacks throw the ball 40 to 45 times. So you need reliable players. Newsom comes in. Uh, he's versatile. He's already been working at nickel, uh, you know, this week with the team. Actually had an interception yesterday in practice against Baker Mayfield. The Browns are ecstatic with him. And I think one of the things they love most is his intelligence. They know there's probably some room to, for some bulk to be put on his body. Um, he is only 21. That will obviously come along. But I think where they're in a really, really great, great position where they've never been in before is the Browns may not start one rookie week one. Um, years ago, obviously all these kids were drafted and it wasn't, you know, uh, you know, oh, oh you know, do you think he's gonna be able to start him? Oh my God. Is he possibly gonna be a hall of famer? Cause we need seven of them. Cause we're a terrible, terrible team. Right. Um, this guy just, these guys can come in, uh, take their time, get comfortable within the system. Um, you know, they'll get their feet wet. Nothing's going to be let They're not going to get thrown into the fire, so to speak. It's just a great position, you know, that this off that this, you know, front office has put this team in roster wise. And, you know, there's going to be players, obviously, that get injured. Adding a game to 17 games in a regular season just, you know, basically, you know, gives a greater opportunity for things to go wrong for players health-wise. But they've just done a fantastic job in making sure they are as deep as possible in every positional unit. And it started with the selection of Newsom at 26 overall. And at 52 overall, the pick originally owned by the Bears, but we we finagled our way out of that one to uh, move up and draft Tevin Jenkins uh, in the second round, um, Jeremiah Awusu-Koromoa. And the reason that I know how to say his name so well is because <laughs> I heard his name for about 20 picks before he finally got taken by Cleveland. We're watching his highlights over and over again. And just based on the overabundance of watching him murder anything in his path, uh, he's either going to be a, an outstanding player for a long time or a guy that injures himself out of the NFL for the way that he punishes people. Well, the thing with, and I think this is kind of what hurt him, was I think a lot of teams said, well, is he a safety or is he a linebacker? Yeah. And I think that went through with a lot of teams. And you know what the Browns Browns basically answer to that was? Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's what we're going to do. Because we want to play dime. So you know what we want? We want guys who can play safety and can play linebacker. So now they can do that. Ronnie Harrison is a bigger safety. Grant Delpit has good size as a safety. So now when you get into these situations where you want to go dime, you obviously have players standing in the spots where you would have your traditional linebackers, but now they're faster players, which help against the Lamar Jacksons of the world. Um, mm-hmm. They are quicker in coverage, which help against the Travis Kelsey's of the world. And when you get to this, you know, six one, six two, whether it's you know two twenty eight or two forty, you know, the traditional linebacker weight, so to speak, it doesn't necessarily matter it's 10 pounds if you're faster if you're quicker if you can handle the punishment and you can deliver the contacts we'll go with the faster player it's going to aid us in coverage and i think that you know jok was just that type of player um where he kind of did a little bit of everything and this is another big thing with joe woods is he wants to be able to disguise what his defenses are doing he wants versatile pieces he wants a guy that would be able to line up on a line of scrimmage and cover the running back in the flats if your next assignment is i want you to play deep third in a cover three these are the types of guys they want so when the quarterback gets to the line of scrimmage he has no idea what's going on until the browns finally set maybe a split second before the play goes off and it just it gives the browns such an advantage uh jok is a fantastic kid and again now another young smart intelligent kid coming out of notre dame extremely physical Lamar Jackson if he wants to do these things the Ravens like to do where they use him as a traditional running back 
you better be careful because you now you have somebody who's going to have no problem, you know, dropping the hammer on you if you want to run the ball like a traditional running back when you're a quarterback and could be an issue at, at times. And this is a type of player that you can use to chase, you know, Lamar Jackson sideline to sideline. So these three and four yard runs don't turn into 23, 24 yard runs. Yeah, because when, like I said, watching his his highlight film because it was like between picks, it was like, who's the best guy on the board? His name kept coming up. Uh, over and over again, showing him do this, showing him get that and do that. And, you know, when that guy gets there, he's going to get there angry and it's not going to be pretty for whoever he runs into, whether it's a running back or a receiver or hell, even God forbid, an offensive lineman who's coming, you know, around the edge uh, or something like that. He might, uh, you know, he looks like he's got the, the, the fortitude to maybe stop the, the lineman and, and plug up the play in, in some way. Uh, or another. I mean, it just all of his his highlights were were nasty uh, to look at. He, in my eyes, he's kind of like an old school guy for the way that he hits uh, and everything. So I I, I enjoy that uh, quite a bit. So uh, and JOK, I like that. <laughs> that uh, definitely cuts down on the syllables uh, for sure. Because I think Jeremiah Owusu Koromo, what were like eight or nine syllables uh, in there? Yeah. It well, definitely he actually shortens goes by Wu from Notre Dame, so I can totally see that you know bellowing out pretty well in uh, you know First Energy Stadium sure. when he makes a play. The uh, you know I'm sure everybody's going to you know attribute it to uh, Ric Flair, but I think it'll work a little better at First <laughs> Energy for Mr. Right. Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. There you go. Um, so looking at the rest of the board, uh, Anthony Schwartz, uh, not exactly a name you'd pick for a wide receiver, but nonetheless, your third round pick out of. Uh, Auburn and uh, Jace, James Hudson, an, uh, an offensive tackle from Cincinnati, is coming in. Uh, another Ohio guy, Tommy. How do you pronounce that one? Togi, 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 Togi. Nice defensive tackle from Ohio State. Uh, so went heavy, heavy, heavy on the defense. Tony Fields, linebacker out of West Virginia, in the fifth round. Another safety, Richard LeCount, in from Georgia, and then finally another wide receiver, Demetric. Felton. Demetric Felton. Excuse yes. me, Demetric Felton. Wide receiver out of UCLA. How how are we looking at the rest of those uh picks? Where are they going to come in? Are they going to be, you know, um are they going to be contributors or do we have a bunch of special teams guys, developmental people, that kind of thing? Well, I think the first thing you look at with Schwartz is and this is a guy I had pegged and you know literally had put it out on social media that this is a guy the Browns were going to be interested in and this was 2 months before the draft. Mm. He he's an he has Olympic speed. This is one thing this Browns wide receiver core does not have. They are extremely lacking in vertical speed and it hurt last year when they played the Chiefs in the you know in the divisional game. The Chiefs came out and basically didn't even play a safety back. They played man on man and said, "Guess what? Your guys aren't faster than ours." So we're just going to take that away. It's not even going to be an option. You're not going to get vertical on this, which makes Baker's success last year even all the more impressive just due to the fact that he was basically playing, you know, 20 to 25 yards because his players just couldn't get behind other team secondaries. You bring in Schwartz and he's a threat even if he's the fifth option just due to the fact that he runs 4-2. There are not a lot of guys in the NFL who have 4-2 speed and Anthony Schwartz brings that. Um, you know, did a lot of the jet sweeps down at Auburn as well. Stuff that the Browns like to do to keep the defense on their toes. So a player like that running it at a four two as opposed to, you know, Jarvis Landry and his, you know, four or five and change speed adds another element. James Hudson is a guy that probably could play tackle, could be a swing tackle, could possibly, you know, 
turn into an interior lineman. J.C. Treader's getting older. Joe Batonio's getting older. Jack Conklin possibly has an out on his contract after the 2021 season. So the Browns, you know, as much as they put together a roster for now, put together a roster for the future. Uh, Fields out of West Virginia, very similar to uh, Owosu Koromoa um, in that he has safety experience. Um, he can obviously do traditional linebacker stuff. So if you liked, you know, JOK to do that stuff, you might've wanted to get yourself a note, you know, another player to do that as well. Uh, LeCount out of Georgia, um, had a you know, rough draft cycle due to an injury that he suffered in a moped accident or something of like that injured moped or dirt bike, but had a pretty successful career down in Athens. Uh, the Browns want to play a lot of safeties. So if you have three, you probably ideally need at least five. If you want to play three safeties a lot, LeCount's a smart, intelligent player out of Georgia. Demetric Felton is just going to be a weapon on offense. He's had times at UCLA where he was a leading rusher. He's at times at UCLA where he was a leading receiver. Um, probably going to contribute, you know, in the return game as well. But it's just somebody that you can use in a variety of ways. He's a little bit – he's smaller than Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, uh, a little bit better of a pure route runner than Kareem Hunt, who was a great receiving back. Just They just found ways to bring guys in who, you know, mesh well what they did and have some things that they br- they're bringing into their individual positional rooms that they're just, you know, they're bringing in a calling card and a fact that they can be used in a small role right away if, you know, they, if they are needed. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room, formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys. Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And, of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Kansas City Steaks. Kansas City Steak Company wants to make this your best grilling season ever. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. From classic steak cuts to USDA Prime to hard-to-find specialty cuts and more, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. 
These are steakhouse quality steaks aged to perfection. They make it so easy. Each order is flash frozen and delivered directly. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Enjoy their butter tender filet mignon, hearty Kansas City steak strip steaks, and savory ribeyes. It's been a hard year, so enjoy being together again by bringing the steakhouse to your house with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. That's KansasCitySteaks.com, code SD. And, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, interesting watching teams build uh, their rosters, you know, and, and on draft day, it's, um, it's such a crapshoot. And you can you never really know how anyone's got their board rated until the picks uh, start to fall. You know, and you see a, a Greg Newsom uh, fall all the way there. Maybe somebody that the Browns weren't expecting to fall into their lap, and there he is, uh, kind of thing. In the second round, they had to be thinking the same thing about Awusu uh, Koromoa. Like the, I, you know, the talk about him started in like mid first round, and here he goes in basically like the later half of the of the second. He's still there for the Browns to. Uh, to scoop him up uh, and everything, so it very it felt very much like um, like you know watching Ozzie Newsom for the Ravens just kind of sit there and do nothing, and yet the best players fall uh, into his <laughs> lap year after year. You know, it was like I always thought Ozzie Newsom is the luckiest GM or the best uh, in the NFL because he just sits there and waits and at his pick, and somehow the perfect guy for the team keeps falling in his lap. It kind of looked like the the Browns were having some of that success on draft night this year. It's just, you know, it's when you are in a better position, when you have done your work um, as far as, you know, putting together a decent roster. And like I said, it also helps when you're in a position where you basically look at your roster going into the draft and going, you want to know what we have enough here. We can go right now. We've got 11 starters on offense. We maybe have 11 starters on defense. Anything we're doing here is gravy. So let's look for players with, you know, a number one who are young, um, all the Browns players were 21 or younger when they were, I mean, 20, 22 or younger when they drafted them. Let's look for versatility. Can they do more than one thing? And you bring those type of players in, it's going to be the best chance at, you know, success for them, success for you, understanding that there's still work to be done, understanding the fact that you have a coaching staff that's intact from the year before, which has never been the case. The Browns are bringing back every coach and assistant coach they had in 2020. So there's continuity and, you know, whatever you were working with players on last year, now you expect that, you know, to be, you know, not an issue anymore. Maybe they've improved upon that. So now you can focus on, you know, getting rookies ready and, you know, developing their roles, developing their understanding of your scheme on offense and defense. And it's just, it's really, you know, refreshing to see and you know obviously this goes on with a lot of teams in the nfl but it's not gone on with the cleveland browns yeah i'm um, just you know knowing what the recipe is to put together a sustainable product and keeping your eyes on the present but also keeping your eyes on the future yeah it's it's a it's a balancing act that every gm and and, and coach has to you know put together the balancing act of of building for today while looking ahead towards tomorrow and then the coaches getting your best players ready while also warming up the guys that are coming up behind them uh, in case they need to play now or somewhere down the somewhere down the line. It's it's an interesting balancing act to watch each of those guys uh, perform. And, you know, um, speaking of, uh, of, of Wusu Koromoa, it's a conversation I've had with a few people now. He's more of a hybrid guy. You say that the fields out of West Virginia is pretty much the same thing. 
We got to come up with a name. I think I'm going to start a petition online or something about a name for that hybrid linebacker slash <laughs> safety guy because they either get labeled a safety or they're a linebacker when they're when they're both or neither. You know what I mean? So, I, so we got to come up with some kind of name uh, for that position to just kind of become the norm because that's essentially what guys like the you know JOK or Wu or whatever he's going to go by uh, out there in Cleveland. You know, that's what they are. They listed him as a linebacker. They list Fields as a linebacker, but he's going to drop in coverage deep like a safety uh, at some point. So that cancels them out as being a linebacker, you know, and things like that. So it was like, we, we got to find out a way or find a way or find a name for this, uh, for this position and, and uh, you know, get it cemented in there because that's where the league is headed. Oh, we, there's no doubt. I mean, if you're going to go with these teams that are going to go with four wide receivers, you know, on the field all the time, or you know, continuously spreading it out, um, you know, the, you know, offenses are going 100% athlete heavy. Mm-hmm. So the only way to counter that is to go athlete heavy on defense, right. With you know the fastest pass rushers you can get, and the Browns obviously are going to you know are doing that with you know three pass rushers who all run sub four six in Garrett, Clowney, and Tack McKinley. Um, you're just trying to you know get yourself as athletic and fast as you possibly can with players who have the mind and the dedication you know to improve and make sure that they're going to do all the work that you ask them you know in the playbook and their assignments so they're able to go out there and give you the best product they can week in week out. It's the way the league is trending. It's the way every sport is trending. It's athletes versus athletes. Yeah. So let's look ahead to the to the schedule because there's a few interesting things uh, in here uh, for the Browns. Um, the bear schedule goes away, home, away, home, all the way down the board. Uh, they don't have two road games together. They don't have two home games together. They even accounted for the bye week uh, for the Bears. We're, we're at, uh, I think we're home for the Steelers beforehand, and then on the road the following week, I always get it mixed up. Either way, instead of the bye week kind of serving as that buffer and then we have back-to-back road games, no. Bye week, or, you know, home week, home uh, before the bye, after the Browns, on the other hand, their games are all grouped together. Uh, aside from the starting off on the road at Kansas City, so a rematch of that divisional game, then you got back-to-back home games for the Texans, and then the Bears come in week three, then two road games at Minnesota at the Chargers, then three home games, including a Thursday nighter against the Broncos. You have the Cardinals, the Broncos, and then the first matchup with the Steelers on Halloween, then two road games, Oh, and then fine. Oh, excuse me. They finally uh, mix it up uh, there before the bye. Home for Detroit at Baltimore on Sunday Night Football before a Week 13 bye. I think that's the latest you can go this year is Week 13, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So 12 games, you know, 80% of the schedule <laughs> before uh, the bye week. Not, you know, I'm just saying that worked out pretty well for the Buccaneers last year. You know, they had their bye week, week 12 or week 13 or whatever, and after that they rattled off six, seven straight games and won the Super Bowl, just saying. But what's interesting about the schedule there, not only is the groups, the games being bunched together, but you don't play the Ravens until week 12 on Sunday night football. You have a bye week, and then you play the Ravens again. So you have basically essentially back-to-back games against the Ravens before finishing out the rest of the schedule. With a bye week in between, yeah. I mean, this is—I mean, this is almost kind of like a gift, um, and it, it's you know it's rare to see this happen for the Cleveland Browns. Um, but basically, you get to you know say you know hey, if we're running neck and neck with the Ravens, we basically have almost four weeks where the only thing we have to think about in this building 
is finding a way at worst is to split with the Ravens. Obviously, you want to win both those games. Right. But that gets to be your whole and intent focus for almost 24, 25 days. You don't have to think about another team in the NFL. And it just should put this, you know, regime, which is full of a bunch of intelligent gentlemen and great football minds in the best position to find the way to, you know, get those games. You know, they, they get that first one on Sunday night football. Then they have, you know, two weeks to prepare to face them again. But that time it'll be in Cleveland. I yeah. mean, it's really, I mean, keeping in mind, the Ravens will have had their bye week before that stretch. So the Ravens are going to have to play Cleveland, have to play another game, then have to play Cleveland again. Meanwhile, you know, the Browns will you know play that first one, have two weeks, think about it, you know, change what was working, what wasn't working. You know, what do we need to do? Um, it really, really broke really well for them as far as, you know, trying to well, you know, hopefully get this opportunity to take this AFC North title. Yeah, it's like they, they don't get their first matchup with the Ravens until week 12, but you get back-to-back games, like you said, with a bye in between. It's like which, I've never... gives them, which gives them 11 weeks to get all these new moving parts on defense right. to work in unison, and then it's, you know, we have nothing but one focus here for the next three-plus weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I've never seen that on, you know, on a schedule uh, before where, I mean, I've definitely seen it where the Bears play the same team twice in three weeks, but like you said, it, that's what we see in the Ravens doing. They're the it's the Browns, somebody in between, and then the Browns again, as but not the Browns the week off, then the Browns again, uh, or anything like that. Where like you said, for for at the very least three weeks for twenty plus days, our only focus in this building is beating the the, the Baltimore Ravens. That's all we have to worry about between you know from the the twenty second of 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 November, the day after you play the Lions, until. May uh, December the twelfth when you play the Ravens the second time, that's the only thing on your minds is the Baltimore Ravens and really with the way that you know Cincinnati's still working their way up, I'm not expecting much out of Pittsburgh this year. It's you and the Ravens for the AFC North this year, so those <laughs> games are going to be huge. Oh, there's no there's no way around it, and um, you know the, the Ravens have had you know the better end of it. Um, but there's been some close ones. You know, Baker has you know won one game against the Ravens. I'm sorry, he, he's won two games. Um, actually, no, he didn't win the first one. He's won one game against the Ravens. Uh, came close, obviously, two other times. People think the gap is bigger than it is. Baltimore did some things in the offseason. I don't think they. I don't think in any way they improved themselves nearly as much as Cleveland did. Of course, we're talking about things on paper at this point. It's still got to take place on the field. Um, but you know the Browns probably put themselves in every position to be able to overtake them as long as you know everything translates like they're hoping it will. Yeah, and then an interesting finish to the season. Um, the Raiders uh, week fifteen is one of those to be determined games. Like maybe they're playing on Saturday, maybe they're playing on Sunday. <laughs> but then after that, you have the Packers on Christmas Day, which I think is the only is it the only game on Christmas Day. I'm not sure if it is or, or if it's the is it the main the event? But in that point of the season, the NFL obviously would have ability to flex games if they wanted to, which I'm sure they'll find probably another game to throw up on there. <laughs> um, but you just talk about it in that sense and you know, where this team is at, where this product is at. Yeah. That you know, look, Green Bay Pay- Packers are a staple in this league. For them to be playing on Christmas Day isn't such a surprise. The fact that their opponent is the Cleveland Browns. Um, you know, maybe if you took somebody off a deserted island and said, oh, hey, well, Christmas Day football, Packers, Browns. What? Like, well, what in the world would the Browns be doing in this national spotlight? Right. Um, but this is where it is now. And, you know, hopefully for the foreseeable future. 
Yeah, and that's a Saturday game is is Christmas Day, and then you have yep. you're at the Steelers for what I'm what I'm sure is the Monday night finale, and then at home against the uh, Bengals to uh, to wrap up the schedule. So when when the schedule came out, you're taking a look at this thing. You're you're critical and biased at the same time. What uh, what numbers are coming up in your head when you kind of look at the schedule? I I I, I mean I, I I think I see 13 wins. Um, you look at those Pittsburgh and Cincinnati games late in the season. Both those teams could be, you know, you know, dead and left on the side of the road, so to speak, by then. <laughs> right. The Raiders. No, but like you're saying with the Raiders, it could be a Saturday game. It could be a Sunday. Yeah, it's probably completely relevant on where the Raiders are. And I mean, if anybody has any idea what in the world Mike Mayak and John Gruden are doing out there, please let me know. Because yeah. I mean, after the three plus years, I have no idea what in the world they're doing out there. Um, you know. The NFC North, I mean, you know, you have the Bears rebuilding, obviously, with a new quarterback. Detroit, again, you know, Detroit, you know, are they finally, you know, maybe doing something to get down some sort of path? You know, the Packers are tough. Minnesota, you know, I think Minnesota's just kind of stuck in a little bit of like a Bermuda Triangle because they like Kirk Cousins. But in the same respect, I think they think that Kirk Cousins probably isn't their guy. Um, so, you know, you've got that division, you know, in, in the NFC North this year, uh, you've you're obviously going to play the AFC West. The chargers are going to be a better team. Herbert looks like he is an absolute, you know, going to be a gem. Mm-hmm. The chiefs, certainly a solid player, Denver, maybe plucky, but in the same respect, you don't know what's going on there. You know, do they have eyes on Aaron Rodgers? Is there a possibility Aaron Rodgers could be moving on? I can't believe we're still having these conversations for three months with no resolution right. to it. But, you know, and of course, you know, then you, you know, you, you get a team like New England on a schedule this year. Um, you really have no idea what to make of that team right now uh, as to where they're headed. I mean, you know, their selection of Mac Jones certainly is a head scratcher. I just don't believe there's, a, you know, NFL arm talent there with a player like that. But then again, Bill Belichick can, you know, he's the guy that can beat you this week with his guys, come back next week and beat you with your guys. So yeah. it's, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a wild ride. It's just, you know, it's still trying to get used to saying 17 game NFL regular season. Right. Um, but for, I think for Browns fans, I think they're ecstatic about it. Um, they get, you know, fans get an extra home game. Uh, they get the opportunity to see this team. This, you know, the stadium would be full come September. It's just, you know, something that fans and, you know, media, I, I know damn well. I mean, I, I can't wait to get going. I mean, I love the summer, but if you told me we could flip the calendar to week one right now, psh, I'd pass up the summer in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> I hit the fast forward button on it in a heartbeat to get to to get to September twelfth and uh the Bears opening the year at at the Rams on Sunday night football. I'm looking forward uh to that one, even though it's <laughs> probably not gonna swing our way. I'm still looking forward to it anyway. If you just anything to get um to get things going. And if at the very least, I'm looking forward to August fourteenth, which is our first uh preseason game. Um, you know, it'll be a full uh soldier field. The debut of Justin Fields, you get to see what he looks like in the uniform, slinging the ball around uh, and things like that. And just seeing fans in Soldier Field again and fans in, is it First Energy Field now? Yes, sir. First okay. Energy Stadium, yes. Sir. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the just having fans back in the in the stadium uh, with football uh, again is, is something I, I cannot wait uh, to see. For the fans to be a factor in the game again, you know, for noise to be – you know, for the for that that timeout that comes because the crowd is just too much, uh, kind of thing. That was not a factor at all uh, last season, and and for you know a lot of people think that one of the reasons Rodgers had so much success uh, last year was because there was no crowd noise to distract him or or anything uh, like that. They were able to take advantage of being able to hear each other a lot better and and all that kind of stuff. I wonder how much that's going to factor in to how the season 
goes with fans back in the stadium and being noisy and and you know trying to be um uh you know interrupting of the of the the cadence and making it difficult to hear and things like that well, I mean, these people are going to have, you know, well over a calendar year of, so it's going to even be louder. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're going to talk week one, you're going to be talking playoff atmospheres in some of these stadiums because, you know, that's how much these fans have missed being in the building, you know, physically seeing it live. And, you know, that's where, you know, the fact that you were able to have some mini camps, have some OTAs and, you know, get these teams back to a little bit more of an NFL normalcy. And I know there have been teams that have been preaching on it. I know the Browns are playing music. It's, you know, a pretty loud level, you know, trying to understand, hey, guys, you know, I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, so the crowds are back. Um, but it's going to play, you know, it's going to play a little bit bigger part than, you know, than when you just physically say, you know, people are going to be back in the stadium. You know, it's it's certainly a mental approach um, and it's something that you're going to have to deal with and you'll get reacclimated to. Yeah. Yeah, like that that's the other thing is like how is it going to affect uh the players and like the adrenaline rush of scoring a touchdown in your in your home stadium and being able to jump into the dog pound and celebrate uh with the fans and uh, and things like that as opposed to like yeah, you spike the ball, you chest bump somebody, you run back to the sidelines, celebration is over kind of thing because there aren't 70,000 people in the stadium you know, applauding you and your efforts and, uh, and things like that when it's just, you know, the coaching staff, the, the rest of the players and like the, you know, the referees is all it's uh, yeah, in the stadium. Like a freshman football game. Yeah. I mean, it was good job, Billy. Yeah. Going back and looking at some of those highlights and seeing, you know, the, the quarterback throw a deep ball and it's nothing but empty seats as we watch the ball travel from point A to point B. It's like, uh, so depressing. Three game warmups. Yeah. It's so depressing seeing that. It's like, you know, did nobody know the game was happening? Was this played at 2 a.m.? What's going on here? So, yeah, it was uh, it would be much, much more uh, pleasing to the eye to see fans out there not uh, having the uh, the networks, uh, you know, uh, pumping in the crowd noise. You know, it's like there's nobody cheering that first down right now. Come on. You know, they're pumping <laughs> in the fake noise here. And that I give all the credit in the world to the audio engineers who made it sound that way, but we know that's not what was going on. Uh, there, so uh, you know, I, I look forward to the real thing being being back uh, and and uh, watching it happen uh, this fall. So, but um, I think we all do. Yeah, yeah. One more thing I wanted to mention, and um, this is just me being me, and my listeners know what I'm talking about when I say that. Is the the to me with all the moves that were made, bringing in Stefanski, uh, it was Andrew Berry, right? Yes, sir. Andrew, that's I don't want to get his name wrong again. Andrew Barry comes in. Uh, the the moves that were made, you made the you've got draft picks that are working out as opposed to the what, what was going on. Um, for me, the final straw in the success of the Browns in 2020 was going back to the old school uniforms because um, the ones that the Browns were wearing from whenever they changed them to uh, 2019, I absolutely hated them. Uh, with the Browns on, like we didn't know they were the Cleveland Browns. You had Cleveland and Browns written all over. They looked like some weird high school team or, you know, a historically black college with, you know, with all the flair and everything with the uniforms uh, and everything. It was just like, okay, we're the NFL. Let's go back to what it was before the blocky varsity letters, the brown and the white, and, you know, just simplify it, go back to it. When you look good, you play good. And last year they looked good and they played good. Yeah, well, and I think it was, you know, obviously they had those uniforms coming back had been in works, you know, for a little bit of time. Sure. And I think it was just the perfect mesh of, you know, the Browns were now good again. The Browns are a playoff team again. And, you know, fans who have been, you know, fans of this franchise their entire lives, 
basically got to see their team be good again in the look that, you know, they were accustomed right. to them always wearing. You know, obviously there's going to be a little bit maybe more orange dipped into it this year. You know, obviously now every NFL team always wants to, uh, you know, rock that third jersey so you can get those jersey sales up and obviously make that money there. Uh, so it, it's it just in everything about it. And the coolest thing about it is, you know, seeing players excited about it. You know, I mean, like, I mean, and that's where the world is now. You know, I have teenage daughters. Like, there's no such thing as, you know, like, blue is your favorite color anymore. Like, every every color of the rainbow, essentially, is, yeah. you know, embraced and liked. And, you know, the brown and orange. And I think the guys know that they're putting their stamp on this um, now as, you know, this is now going to hopefully be another successful run for this franchise after so many years in between. Right. Um, the players embracing it and embracing the look and just, you know, just really excited about everything that has to do with this franchise. You know, and understanding that it's it's just, you know, you will be, you can, you're going to bring in players all the time. But, you know, without it all being orchestrated successfully, it, it, you never know if it's going to work or it's not going to work. And just the smiles on these guys faces, you know, they, when they go to their Zoom conferences and they're talking to the media and, you know, just the questions they're asked. I mean, you just see overall exuberance and positivity. And, you know, this is with guys like Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward all in this time where, you know, contract extension talks are coming up. And, you know, and to hear every single one of them say, oh, I want to be a Cleveland Brown. I mean, we're not used to seeing the hearing these words, right. but you're hearing them and these guys are excited and they know where they think this franchise is headed. They know they probably have a nice, you know, couple of year window here to have some real success. And they're chomping at the bit. Yeah, I mean it's 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 not a surprise to hear them say or with the way the team is playing and the way the where the where the organization is trending and things like that for them to say that they want to stay where you know as opposed to 10 years ago when hearing you know Joe Thomas swear loyalty to the Browns it's like why dude why <laughs> go somewhere else win some football games you're too good to be you know you know playing at your career for for so many bad teams and the revolving door of uh, of quarterbacks like I, I mean we the Bears are guilty of the same thing as far as quarterbacks are concerned but you know I think I've, I've seen the the jersey where the one person's got the roll of tape down the side where yep. you know you got win you got this guy you, got that, you know all that kind of stuff with the with the various names and everything that have been since the Browns came back in 99 starting with uh with Tim Couch uh and everything it's um it's 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 good to see the Browns coming back. You know, I'm always a, a rooting for the for the underdog. But the other thing that I'm also rooting for is parity in the league, and the, especially in the AFC because they've been such a top heavy conference for such a long time. Uh, when I went back and I, I did the research from like 2000 to like 2018, 2019, whenever I was doing that, the AFC sent five teams to the Super Bowl, five. The NFC sent like 13 or 14 because like one or two teams, I think the Giants went twice, the, the Seahawks went twice, and I think the 49ers went twice. Everybody else was a one and done. The Eagles, the Bears, the Panthers, the Cardinals, one after another. It's like the NFC was more of a gauntlet as far as like, you know, trying to repeat and everything. Where in the, in the AFC, it was New England, Pittsburgh, Denver, Indianapolis, maybe Baltimore, and then one time the Raiders win in 2002. Otherwise, it was those other five teams over and over again just taking turns uh, winning the AFC and going to the Super Bowl over and over to see the Browns come in and be a factor again, to see the Chiefs coming back, to see the Buffalo Bills uh, coming back again. That's what I like to see, that things are getting shaken up as opposed to the same teams going back year in and year out. 
it just makes for a better product for the yeah. league. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, I mean, you know, the amount of, you know, like, oh, here we go. Here's another, you know, Raven Patriots playoff game or, you know, and this is what, you know, this is what brings eyes, this is what brings younger eyes to the game. I mean, it was different teams. And, uh, you know, the fact that way they expanded the playoffs last year. So you had three games on a Saturday, three games on a Sunday and basically just kept everybody on the edge of their seats. I mean, you know, the NFL, I mean. You ain't making billions of dollars by being a bunch of idiots. They know what you know. They know what's going on. Yeah. But you know, but also the fact that you know you have teams that you know that you know fans aren't accustomed to you know watching on you know January weekends and games that you know the ultimate matter towards you know driving towards a Super Bowl. Um, it, it's going to draw people because you know people who you know people who maybe are the casual fan who only watch their team week in week out you know now get to see these other teams that they really haven't seen much of and it, it just you know generates the point where guy you know people want to see more football they want to watch you know every primetime game they can they get to the point maybe where they you know obviously get the NFL package because they realize there's more to than the team they watch every Sunday right yeah and it's you know like i said as a it's like obviously i'm a bears fan born born and bred but i'm a football fan uh, as well. And, you know, I, I, I like to watch the NFL and, and, uh, uh, I, you know, I, growing up, you know, I was a teenager in the nineties and as great as those games between the Cowboys and the 49ers were, it was boring to see it always come down to the Cowboys and the 49ers there for yep. that three or four year stretch, uh, in the mid nineties where it was, that was the NFC championship game. One of those teams is going to the Super Bowl. And you knew that week one. Yeah, you and did. Like, so what are we, what are we doing for the next five? Months? Right, exactly. That was the issue was that you knew that week one, that's going to be the NFC championship game. And it was like maybe in a miracle, you know, the, the Packers or whoever was coming up in the nineties at that time might sneak in there somewhere or at the very least give the Cowboys a hell of a game before the Cowboys win and make it to the NFC championship game uh, again. <laughs> you know, same thing in the AFC for the last several years. It was always the the Patriots and the Steelers, or the Patriots and the Broncos, the Patriots and Colts, over and over again. It's like, yeah, can somebody else get in there? Like, you know, Miami, Buffalo, <laughs> you know, somebody. Just come on and, and give, them, give them hell for a year. Just one time. Come on, uh, kind of thing. It's it's nice to, to see uh, teams reemerging. And, uh, you know, like, like you said, I don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, with the Raiders, but they're not the butthole of the NFL anymore. So that's nice to see that they're finally <laughs> figuring out to be at least a mid-level uh, team and not the joke of the NFL that everybody can't wait to play. Yeah. So. I, and, you know, I mean, you know, it was always, you know, I mean, they were always, you know, a prominent and there was fear to it. Open this big, beautiful stadium, in a, you know, obviously in Las Vegas. And, you know, the product, I mean, you're just not really sure where it's going. You know, and it's, it seems every year they kind of almost want to, you know, rip it at about like half a part. Uh, and think, oh well, no, no, no. Now, they, now this will be the recipe, and who, who knows? We'll see if it leads to any success anytime soon. Yeah, and we got the Raiders uh, this year. We got them week five um, on the road in that beautiful state. Well, that's it. Oh, absolutely. If you're going to play the Raiders, you want to go to Vegas. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the thing was that when they did go to the 17th game, that was our 17th game. Was oh, yeah, that's right. Was the same place opponent from another conference uh, from you know from the AFC. And uh, it was like once that was cemented, then it's like all over Bears Twitter and the discussion groups that I belong to. It's like, all right, who's going to Vegas? Let's let's get a group together. Like, who's going? And it's like even before the schedule came out, who wants to go to Vegas when the Bears play uh, the Raiders? It's like, I can't be damn if it's Christmas Day, we're going. You know, so it's uh, <laughs> one of those things. So, 
But I mean, uh, Jeff, I I, uh, I I root for the Browns. Like I said, I, I'm an underdog kind of guy, but I also I, I like to see. Like I grew up with the Browns being one of the better franchises in the AFC, going to the championship games and winning the division and uh, and things like that. Uh, I grew up watching uh, NFL films with Marty Schart- Marty Schartenheimer with uh, There's a Gleam, men. There's a gleam. No idea what the hell he was talking about, but it sounded good. You know what I mean? And uh, just those days in the, in the old Memorial Stadium and the dog pound and, and stuff like that. So I, I have fond memories of the Browns, and it's a good thing to see them coming back. Yeah, no, I mean, we're excited about it. and It's just the energy level, you know, of the fans, obviously, and, and, and just these young players. And, you know, the fact that, you know, they all came here and, you know, we don't care what went on here before, and we understand it wasn't good. You know, doesn't have a hill of beans to do with us, right? And we're going to be the ones to change it. All right, Jeff. Well, I appreciate the time, man. I'm going to go ahead and uh, you know let you go, and look forward to uh, having you back on to preview that Week Three uh, matchup between the Browns uh, and the Bears coming to uh, Cleveland uh, this year. Uh, I would like to remind you, however, just throw throw this in here as we depart. The Bears are undefeated against the AFC North the last two times we've played the division. 2013-2017, 4-0 against the division both times. Don't ask me how, because we weren't very good in either of those seasons, but somehow four of our victories came against the uh, the AFC North, so we're looking to repeat as AFC North uh, champions in 2021. Remember, though, in 2017, there was a certain false there was a certain offsides on a browns defensive lineman that negated a miles garrett interception return that would have been the difference in that game very much so yeah yeah i also yeah yeah i remember that game very much and uh also like it there was that was interesting such a weird game to watch because with the bears and their inability to get out of their own way at times them being their own worst enemy I watching the Browns play and and no offense, but it I it that's like this is what it's like to watch the Bears. This is what it's like because there was a there was a receiver that caught a pass. He's coming across the middle. He gets close to the end zone. He fumbles the ball and the Bears recover it uh, in the end zone. Like that touchdown as well would have played a big factor in the football game. But there it was the Browns being their own worst enemy. This kid fumbles mm-hmm. the ball, gives it back to the bears when they were just about to rip our throats out with this touchdown uh, and everything and make the bears, the answer to the trivia question, who was the one in one in 15 in 2017, as opposed to, uh, you know, keeping the Browns uh, winless uh, in that football game. So um, that was a strange game. And, um, you know, thankfully the Bears were able to come out ahead thanks to uh, Deshaun Kaiser throwing passes to a wide open Kyle Fuller a couple of times in that game as well. Deshaun Kaiser was just trying to make sure you know that he could give up his job and the Browns could secure the selection of Baker Mayfield. There you so go. he did his part. He, he did, did his, his part. part. What a guy! What a guy! Because <laughs> he also played the Bears Week One in 2018 as backup to Aaron Rodgers in the in the first game of the season and uh, made Khalil Mack famous. Threw an interception, they ran back for a touchdown. Khalil Mack ripped the ball out of his hands, uh, you know, in the in, in a sack fumble type situation. So he did his part to make the Bears look good. The gift yeah. that keeps on giving. Absolutely. Yes. So Jeff, I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, we'll look forward to talking to you again uh, to preview uh, week number three. Where can we keep up with you in the meantime? Uh, you know, the Lockdown Browns podcast, Apple, Spotify, Odyssey. You know, wherever you know you get your podcasts. Uh, the, the at Lockdown Browns Twitter account and at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Um, just excited. You know, obviously, you know, you can take a little time here. Enjoy the summer a little bit. But, uh, you know, September just can't come fast enough. Amen to that. 
So Jeff Lloyd from Locked On Browns, we appreciate you being on the show, man. Uh, thanks, Larry. Had a blast. As always, want to thank Jeff Lloyd from Locked On Browns to uh, for coming on the show and, and uh, helping us preview the uh, the twenty twenty one Cleveland Browns. Looking forward to you know seeing if they can maintain uh, that success. You know when they came back in in nineteen ninety nine they they found themselves in the playoffs in year number four, I believe, two thousand and two with Butch Davis, uh, where they ironically played the Steelers in the wild card round and lost that game and that was as close as they came to postseason success until almost 20 years uh later uh when they finally make the postseason again they got close in like 2007 uh lost the game too many i think they you know if had they finished like 11 and 5 they'd have made the playoffs or they were 9 and 7 10 and 6 or something like that fell short you know they were uh it was the days of Derek Anderson and Braylon Edwards and uh uh and everything they fell just short then and that was as close as they got uh, for a long time until this past season when uh, Baker and company finally got him over the hump uh, and into the postseason and nearly got him to the AFC championship game. Would have been interesting to watch the uh, the Browns and the Bills uh, duke it out for the AFC championship had the uh, Browns been able to uh, shut Mahomes and company down. But uh, they'll be an interesting team to watch. We see them week number three in Cleveland. So uh, that will be interesting to uh, to see um, how the Browns are faring early in the early going and um, to see what kind of team they end up being in 2021. I will be keeping uh, a close eye on them. So that's going to do it for the Cleveland Browns. We'll come back on Monday when we're moving into the quote-unquote top half of the division, starting with the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, Kevin Ostriker from the Locked on Ravens podcast will be joining us to uh, preview the 2021 Ravens to talk about the, you know, what's next uh, for the Ravens. You know, they've, uh, they've fallen flat in, uh, in, you know, consecutive seasons. They, they have no trouble getting to the postseason, but they can't get over the hump and get a win. Last year, uh, you know, they made it into the wild card round and fell to the Buffalo Bills. It was a tough game, uh, a, a very much of a defensive struggle. Uh, there and it was a uh, a key interception at the end of the game that really that really shut the Ravens down and made the victory possible uh, for the Bills the year before in 2019 Lamar Jackson and his MVP season where he was untouchable they go 14 and two they make the playoffs and uh, run into the buzzsaw that was the Tennessee Titans in the divisional round and lose that game uh, at home and that's that's very much what it's been like. In 2018, Lamar Jackson and company got him a win uh, in the wild card round and then fell in the divisional round. So it's, it's, uh, it's the divisional round that seems to be where, they're, where the wall is uh, for the Ravens. They're looking to, uh, to get past that. And this might be a good year for them to make their move because um, despite what, what uh, Chris Carter from the uh, Locked On Steelers podcast would tell us the 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 sentiment around the league right now is that the Steelers aren't going to be what they were uh, a year ago or you know they're not going to be 12 and 4 they're not going to win the division so this might be the year for the Ravens and the Browns to kind of make the move to try to to get a stranglehold on the division that the Steelers have pretty much owned since the AFC North's inception back in 2002 so I'm pretty sure they've won it more than they haven't 
uh, in that time. So, um, you know, this could be the year for the Ravens to do it. And we'll talk to Kevin about the moves that they've made and how probable it is for the Ravens to reclaim the AFC North uh, after winning it in 2019 and coming in second last year and uh, what they'll need to do to advance further uh, in the playoffs. And one other thing that we did uh, talk about was in regards to the handling of of Justin Fields, more so in regards to, to how much I respected how the Ravens went all in on uh, Lamar Jackson, how they, they, they tailored their offense around what he does well. And in, in year two, when he was the full-time starter, cause he was still, you know, going back and forth with Joe Flacco in his rookie year in 2018, when he became the man in 2019, how they went all in tailored the offense to his strengths and, uh, you know, he became the MVP. They were the best team uh, in football before falling short in the playoffs that, uh, you know, I think the Bears ha- finally have the quarterback that can run Nagy system the way he wants it to be run. But, uh, you know, it also shows how smart it was and what a good investment it was for the Ravens. They can be an example that if you tailor the offense to what your guy does does well, he can thrive, and therefore, so can your team. So, um, you know, it, it, I was really, um, I really liked what the Ravens did and respected uh, what they did. That they uh, they enhanced his his strengths while you know covering up any shortcomings he may or may not have uh, in in his game. Talking about Jackson, so hopefully the Bears uh, take a page out of that book. And if there is a flaw in in Justin Fields' game, or if they discover one uh, at the pro level that uh, they would do whatever they could to tailor the offense to what he does well uh, and therefore avoid putting him in situations where he might struggle. That's not a luxury that they gave uh, Mitch Trubisky for all, of his, uh, for all of his faults with his accuracy and things like that. It didn't stop Nagy from constantly putting him in a position to be a pocket passer and have to look further down the field. Uh, you know, when they started tailoring the offense to what he did better with the shorter passing game uh, and things like that, the Bears' offense was actually rattling off the points there at a pretty good clip there towards the end of the season. Who knows what we would have done had, uh, you know, they started doing that in 2019. Maybe we could have been a weld oil machine by the time uh, 2020 rolled around offensively. We'll never know. But uh, hopefully, again, if uh, if Justin Fields, uh, you know, does find a, a flaw in his game, hopefully the Bears will do what they can to accentuate what he is good at to avoid uh, putting him at risk and, and making a mistake and uh, exposing himself. So anyway, that is going to do it for this episode of the Bears Talk Underground. Uh, like I said, come back on Monday with uh, Kevin Ostriker from the Locked on Ravens podcast for the, uh, for the next episode. And then we will finish things up with the AFC North next Thursday with Christopher Carter from Locked on Steelers to close the book on the AFC North. So uh, then we move on to our NFC North brethren, and then uh, we'll have Lauren Cox come on in and help us put a bow on the whole thing by previewing the 2021 Chicago Bears. So we're uh, we're deep into this thing now, but we still got a ways to go. We got, uh, what, five shows left maybe uh, before the end of the whole process. And actually, I'm kind of looking into maybe doing a league-wide preview for talking about everybody else that we haven't uh, talked about, but in one show, not 
several others. <laughs> so don't worry, guys. You're not going to have to sit through another 17 uh, previews to get through the rest of the league. Uh, we're going to, uh, you know, sum it up. Maybe, maybe I'll do it in two shows, one conference apiece. And uh, I'm currently in search of a co-pilot uh, for that show. So uh, I got a lead on one. So we'll see if we can make it happen. But uh, those shows will come after uh, we finish up with the with the Bears uh, in a couple of weeks. So anyway, that's going to do it, guys. I'm going to head on out. Be sure to come back on Monday for Locked On Ravens and uh, Kevin Ostriker to help us preview the 2021 Ravens. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.